Well, good morning, everybody. Amen. I don't know why, but for some reason or other, it just seems earlier this morning. I don't know what it is, but it just seems earlier. Hey, I want to commend you for being here. I didn't know if anybody would show up for the first service after losing an hour's sleep and uh, be at the early service, but it looks really good in here. I'm really, really uh, excited about that this morning. Amen. Hey, I need some help today. I got a lot of people missing today that are usually sitting on the front row helping me out. So I need somebody to pick it up a little bit. I promise you, you'll be better off if you do. Do I have anybody to help me this morning? All right, that's awesome. Well, today we're going to continue our series called Can You Hear Me Now? God uses all kinds of ways and means and methods in an effort to communicate with us. I mean, believe that God desires to speak to his people. Yeah, he does. He desires to speak to us, and what he has to say will greatly benefit us. The question is not, is God speaking to us? The question is, are we listening? God says, can you hear me now? Out of all of the ways, and we've talked about those in this series, but out of all of the ways that God chooses to speak, the scriptures are his primary method. They are the most reliable, they are the most trustworthy. Although God speaks in in many other ways, and these other ways are valid, yet his scriptures are always available and always consistently speaking to us. What God has said to others through scripture can serve as a voice speaking to us even today. You know, principles are principles, no matter who is being addressed, right? And lessons are lessons, whether we learn these lessons by ourselves, three steps forward, two steps back, or we learn from the success and failures of others and from what God has said to them through scripture. So so God says today, open my book, read my word, glean from its pages, learn my ways. Discover what pleases me. Discover what displeases me. Find out what I bless and find out what I curse. My voice can be heard through Scripture. God says, can you hear me now? Well, in this series, we are examining the seven letters that were written to uh, the seven churches in Asia Minor recorded in the book of the Revelation. The letter that we are going to look at today is a letter that was written to the church in Sardis. Now, the city of Sardis was a very wealthy and, and it was a very famous city at the time of the writing of this letter. It, it was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. The demographics of this city played a part in the church there, both good and and bad. So I want us to read, I want to read the letter written to this church. We find it in the third chapter of the book of the Revelation. It begins with verse 1 and concludes with verse 6. So let's read this letter to this church of Sardis. The letter reads, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. 
Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There are three things that I want to point out to you today about this church. We find uh, and discover these three things in this letter written to this church in Sardis. The first thing I see is I see their undeserved reputation. Their undeserved reputation reputation. We see this in verse number one. It says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wow. Wow. How would you like to have that said about you? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that said about me. I certainly would not want that said about the church that I pastor. Here's what I've learned, and that is things are not always as they appear to be. Where's that help you promised me, amen? Would you agree this morning, things are not always as they appear to be? The letter reads, you have a name that you're alive, but actually you are, you are dead. You aren't living up to your name. You have marketed yourself, and people have bought into your marketing, but you are not who you say you are. You have built a brand, You have marketed a mission, but the reputation that you have built is an undeserved reputation. You're not really who people think you are. See, the truth of the matter is things are not always as they appear to be. Outward appearances can be very deceiving. You know, no one really knows what's happening behind the scenes. We see something on the outward. We see something portrayed, and and we're impressed by it, man. We are moved by it, man. We are, you know, we think it is awesome. We think it is incredible. We think it is unbelievable. But no one really knows what is happening behind the scenes. Here's what's interesting. Often we are jealous of something that isn't even real. I said, often we are, we are jealous of something that isn't even real, isn't even true, isn't on the inside what it appears to be on the outside. Sometimes we look at another church. I know in ministry we are guilty of this, and often sometimes we look at another church and we see that that church is growing and we see they are building buildings and everybody's talking about it. And if we're not careful, we become envious of their success. If we're not careful, we will become depressed and discouraged about what is or isn't happening in our own. But often the latest and the greatest is just better at marketing themselves than others are. Perhaps they have an undeserved 
reputation. Hopefully not. Hopefully they live up to their reputation. Hopefully they truly are who they claim to be. Hopefully they really are who they market themselves to be. But sometimes, sometimes they are like the church in Sardis. Oh, the name they claim is not who they really are. The same goes for marriages. Sometimes we look at a marriage, we look at a couple, we look at a family, we look at a business, or whatever that it might be, and and we think it is one way, but in actuality, it's not. Things are not always as they appear to be. Often it's just a facade. Often it's just make-believe. Often it's not real. Such was the case with the church in Sardis. Here's something else that we need to understand, and that is an abundance of activity does not guarantee God's approval. Verse number one, the letter reads, I I know your works. I, I know your works. See, it wasn't that this church was inactive. They had their share of programs. I don't know, but perhaps they had become so busy doing that now they had no time for being. See, doing for God can never take the place of being with God. And only after being with God do we discover what we should be doing for God. Here's what I know, and that is good things don't equal God things. Good things don't always equal God things. You've heard me say many times that people come to me and say, why don't we do this or that or something else? Or the church I came from did this or the church down the street does this. Or, or I heard about this. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I'm telling you, we could become so active. We could become so busy that we are busy, 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 busy doing for God, but we have no time for being with God. And somebody needs to be doing those things, but do we need to be doing those things? Or do we need to find out the things that God wants us to do? Because there's only a certain amount of time, and we only have a certain amount of energy, correct? And so we better know what God wants us to do and what we need to be involved in. You've heard me say it many, many times. I say it consistently because I don't want you to forget it. It's not that I don't have anything else to say. It's there are some things that I want. When I'm gone, I want you to remember. And so those are the things that I continually pound upon. So here it is again. It's coming up again this morning. Let's get, let's get into his presence. And in his presence, he can reveal to us his program that he has designed specifically for us. See, an abundance of activity does not guarantee God's approval. I'm convinced there's going to be people that are going to stand before God on the judgment day and say, God, I did this, 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 and this, and this for you. And God says, well, those things are good. Those things are good. But why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? Why didn't you do what I equipped you to do, what I gifted you to do? Why didn't you do what, 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 what my will was for, for you? Listen, listen, let's not be involved just in good things. Let's discover the God things and give our life for the God things. An abundance of activity does not guarantee God's approval. We can learn this through reading the letter to Sardis, and we see it in some of the other letters to the other six churches. See, see, we tend to equate busyness with success. How we're doing this, this, and this we boast, but are we doing God things? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Here's what I've learned. There will always be another idea. I 
I've been in this thing a long, long time. And I'm telling you, I've discovered there will always be another idea. There will always be a new idea. There will always be a new program. There will always be a new philosophy. There will always be the latest and the greatest. And hear me this morning. It's okay to borrow ideas from others, but make sure those ideas align with who God has called us to be. An abundance of activity does not guarantee God's approval. An abundance of activity often leads us to an undeserved reputation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful, mighty works in your name? But Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not enough to do good things. We must do God things. We must do what God has called us and qualified us to do. Three things I want to point out in this letter. Number one, I want us to notice their undeserved reputation. Second thing I want us to see in this, in this letter is their unfolding future. Their unfolding future. We see this in verses two and three. I want to, I want to read those again. It says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Notice two things here. First of all, they were in danger of losing the little they had left. They were in danger of losing the little they had left. Verse 2 says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. They had already allowed much of what they had to die. They were now in danger of losing the little that they had left. Let's bring it home this morning. How is it with us? How is it with us? Have we allowed some things to die? Are we in danger of losing what we have left? Maybe it's our passion for God. Oh, oh, maybe we're like the saints in Sardis. Oh, have we become so busy for God that we have now no time to be with God? Maybe it's our passion for our, our ministry. Oh, oh, we're still doing ministry, but how effective can it be if we have no passion for it? And how long can we continue if we have lost our passion for it? Are we about to lose the little we have left? What does our future look like? What does our future look like? We're creating it now, you know. I said we're creating it now. We're deciding today what our tomorrow will look like. We're designing it. We're painting the picture. We're creating it. Yeah, the seeds we sow or don't sow in the now will determine the harvest that we will or we will not have in our future. The letter reads, strengthen the things that remain that are ready 
to die. God is saying to us today, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? What's the second thing here? And that is their unwillingness to listen would prove to be a liability to them. Let's read verse 3 again. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. God is giving the church of Sardis, God is giving them time. He is giving them space. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. To remember how things once were and to recognize how things are now. And God basically says to them, repent or else. Repent or else. He doesn't say what the what else is, but it doesn't appear to be good. I remember when I was, you know, supposed to be going to sleep in my bedroom and me and my brother were talking or we were fussing or we were fighting. And I remember the voice that I heard from the other room from my father who said, don't make me come in there. He didn't tell us what he was going to do when he got there, but I was pretty sure he wasn't bringing us milk and cookies. God doesn't say what the what else is, but it doesn't appear to be good. I don't want to know. How about you? Listen, friends, it's always wise to hear and then to heed what God says to us. Because God always wants the best for us. He always wants the best for us. When he says no to us, it's not because he's mean. It's not because that he's stingy. It's not because he's unkind. No, when he says no to us, it's because he knows that saying yes to us would actually be a bad thing. It's either wrong for us or we're not ready for it yet. Just as it was for the Sardis saints, our unwillingness to listen will prove to be a liability. Examine your life today. How are you doing? I said, examine your life today. How, how, how are you doing? Oh, oh, where are you? Where are you in comparison to where you once were? Do you have a reputation for being a Christian? But the truth is that reputation is undeserved because to be a Christian means to be Christ-like and you're anything but Christ-like. Are you dead? You've got a reputation of being alive. You've got a reputation of being a saint. You uh, have a reputation of being a child of God. But are you dead? Are you dead spiritually? And if not, are you dying? Are you in danger of losing the little bit that you have left? If so, are you ready to do something about it? Are you ready to do something about it? Just, just as he did for the saints in Sardis, God is giving you today. He's giving you and he's giving me. He's giving us space to repent. The door of opportunity is open for us today. The question is, will we walk through it? Will we walk through it? Three things I want to point out to you today from this letter to the church of Sardis. First of all, their undeserved reputation. They had a reputation for being alive, but actually they were dead. Number two, their unfolding future. They had a few things left, but they were in danger of losing the little they had left. 
The third thing that I see in this letter to the church of Sardis is their unwavering saints. They're unwavering saints. Let's read about this, about them in verses four and five again this morning. The letter writes, you have a few names, even in Sardis. Say even in Sardis. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I want to suggest two things. First of all, there was a remnant of true saints among them. A remnant of true saints among them. See, even though this church had an undeserved reputation, a reputation of being alive, a a reputation of being vibrant, a a reputation of being successful, when in reality they they were dead, and yet, and yet even so, there was still a remnant among them. There was still a group of people, there was still a segment of, of Christians there, oh, who were still alive. They were still loving Jesus. They were still passionate in their walk with God. Even though most of them had lost out, even though most of them were dead and no longer alive, yet there was a group, there was a segment, there was, there was, there was a few in that church who still loved Jesus. Oh, hear me this morning, friends. The Bible says that in the last days there will be a great falling away. As persecution comes to the church, you heard me talk about it last Sunday, and here it is coming up again, but it is in my heart, it is in my spirit. And as your shepherd and uh, as your overseer, I must warn you, I must help you. As persecution comes to the church and as it begins to actually cost you something to stand up for your faith, it's cost us little, if anything, for many, many years to stand up for Jesus. But we're living in a day and we're coming into a day when it's going to cost us much in order for us to stand and declare ourselves to be the people of God, people of the Word, people of the Spirit. As we enter into these days where it will actually begin to cost you something to stand up for your faith and stand up for biblical moral principles, oh, as the hatred from mainstream society continues to fester and finally will boil over toward the church and toward Christianity and toward the saints, as laws of man are made that require us to go against black and white clear laws of God, they're already on the books and there is more that is coming down the pike. And as the line in the sand is drawn and we're made to choose to obey God or to obey God, I'm telling you that many pulpits will grow silent. Many pastors will either bow or they will bail. Hear me this morning, lukewarm, wishy-washy saints in name only will crater. They will compromise. They will go along in order to get along. You will look around and you will say, where is so-and-so? What happened to this family? What happened to that family? What happened to the other family? But oh, I'm telling you this morning, no matter how intense the pressure might get before the Lord says enough and takes us out of here in the rapture of the church he will always have a remnant he will always have a people he will always have a group amen that will love him that will serve him and will stand for the word of God and will stand for biblical principles and will stand for their relationship with God 
He will always have a remnant. He will always have a people. Oh, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people who won't bend, people who will not break, and people who will not bow. Listen to me. The Bible says that Jesus is coming for a pure bride. The Bible says that Jesus is coming for a virtuous bride. Oh, the Bible tells me that Jesus is looking for a church, amen, without spot and without wrinkle. But the problem, and I hate to admit it today, but the problem is the church today has more of its share of spots and blemishes and imperfections. It has too many wrinkles. But hear me this morning, persecution will help sanctify the church. Persecution is coming. It's coming to you. It's coming to me. It's coming to the church. But I'm telling you, it's not all bad because because of the wrinkles that need to be ironed out are going to be ironed out through persecution. Sanctification is a difficult process sometimes. People are going to be forced to either get in or get out. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. And that is I choose to get in. I said, I choose to get in. My mind is made up. I'm totally committed to Jesus. I'm totally committed to him. And I'm totally committed to him to the very end. I choose to be a part of the remnant. How about you? How about you? Now, let me be clear this morning. I believe in the rapture of the church. And so, and some of you might be, oh, he believe he's going to stay around for the tribulation. What's he saying? No, I, I believe. I believe in the rapture of the church, and I believe it will happen before the great say great. The rapture, I personally believe that the rapture of the church will happen before the great tribulation period. But I also believe that there will be tribulation and there will be persecution before the great tribulation. Are you ready for it? That's the question. You heard it last Sunday and here it is again. Are you, are you ready for it? Let's look at the last thing that I see here this morning. That is only the righteous will be saved. Only the righteous will be saved. Let's read four and five again. Read it over and over, but that's how we get it. So let me read verses four and five again. Their letter reads, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, say overcomes, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I have good news, and I have bad news. The bad news is the Bible says that there is no one righteous, not even one. Pastor, you said only the righteous will be saved, and yet the Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. Well, that's the bad news. But the good news is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, God made Jesus, say Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Say for us. Oh, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9 through 11, let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not, will what? Will what? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Say, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And some were such of you. (laughs) But, (laughs) say but. Uh, aren't you thankful for but? Amen. If I was a young preacher, I'd do something there, but I'm not. I don't do that. <laughs> but you were washed. Oh, but you were washed. Oh, oh, but you were sanctified. Oh, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All of us are unrighteousness, or all all of us are unrighteous on our own. But our unrighteousness can be covered up by the robe of righteousness. And that robe is none other than Jesus Christ himself and the blood that he shed for us on the old rugged cross. He and he alone can cover our sins and and through him and him alone can the unrighteous be declared righteous. But you hear me this morning. You hear me this morning. Not only must we put on this robe of righteousness, we must keep it on. We must keep it on. Revelation 3 and 5, he who overcomes, say overcomes. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white, will be covered with a robe of righteousness, will be declared righteousness, will be declared righteous, and I will not, say not, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You hear me this morning? The fact that it is said to the overcomers that their names, every name, every name, no. The fact that it is said to the overcomers that their names won't be blotted out of the book of life leads me to logically believe and think that those who don't overcome, their names will be, will be blotted out. How do we guarantee that our names won't be blotted out? How many want to guarantee? You want to know that your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. When you got saved, your name was entered into the book of life. How many want to guarantee that that name will never be erased? How do we guarantee that our names won't be blotted out? We stay under the covering of our robe of righteousness, oh, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. We keep Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. I can't speak for you today, but I want to be like the remnant in the church of Sardis. I want to be an unwavering saint. I want my name to remain in the wonderful book of life. The takeaway for the message today is this. It is wise to listen and learn from what the Spirit says through the Scriptures. God is asking us today, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Father, I just pray that you'll take 
this message that has been presented today. God, I pray, Lord. God, I know in my heart, I know in my spirit that there are those that desperately need this word today. And I pray that they will not only hear, but they will also heed, Lord, the life-altering, life-changing, miracle-working word of the Lord.